early in the morning, and polar bear grabbed me, and like my dad and my brother-in-law couldn't shoot through the tent because it was an 11-foot polar bear. You got to make sure you know where you're going to shoot. It was just a shadow. So they could just watch what it was doing, big paw against the tent. That's Johnny Isolak, Inuit actor, athlete, and ambassador, who has also just become the Royal Canadian Geographical Society's newest explorer-in-residence. He's our guest on this episode of Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast brought to you by One Ocean Expeditions. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people. We have Simpson about June 10th with the Fur Brigade, consisting of a number of York boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us in this, it means that or history is very strong. We flew over every inch of the country that could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 45 the Akaluit resident is one of the most medaled athletes in the history of the Inuit Games. He was featured at the Vancouver Winter Olympics in the short film Inuit High Kick. Then came the starring role in the Arctic horror film Kayutayuk, an official entry at the Toronto International Film Festival. From there, the acting roles have only grown in prominence, starring on stage at the Stratford Festival. And then, in the award-winning film Indian Horse, produced by Clint Eastwood. And last year, he was in the critically acclaimed Ridley Scott miniseries The Terror, the story of the ill-fated Franklin expedition lost in the Canadian Arctic in the 1840s. And with all that under his belt, Johnny Isoluk was recently made the newest Royal Canadian Geographical Society Explorer-in-Residence. For our Explorer conversation, we met in the Sir Christopher Ndache Reading Room at the RCGS headquarters, overlooking one of the world's great exploration routes, the Ottawa River. I began our conversation by asking Isolak about how he came to get his first real acting role in an Arctic horror movie. So a friend of mine, uh, Naila Inukshuk, and her partner Scott Brockmeyer visited Iqaluit and always wanted to do a horror flick uh, in the Arctic and I guess they thought about me when they thought about a horror flick. Yeah. <laughs> but with my uh, persona, like my, you know, my name being around from Inuit Games demonstrations, being invited to Olympics, all these things right. that got me recognized as an athlete, as mm-hmm. an advocate for Inuit culture and ambassador of the Arctic, I guess made sense for them to have me as the hunter for this short clip they did. And that's where it all started, where... They made a short movie called yeah. Kayutayuk, Spirit That Comes. And from there, it just kind of barrel road to meeting producers from uh, 
Murdoch Mysteries, and that one got things more open. That horror movie is, it is terrifying. I mean, that it's A, it's beautifully shot, and you are the only actor, you and your dog, are the only actor in this whole thing, and there's a presence, obviously, in this thing as well. But uh, you have this ability, and it's in there right from the start, to convey so much emotion with so little in your face. You know, it's a... It's almost like a Clint Eastwood thing, you know? It's like a look. And there isn't much said in this movie, and it is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And you know what? That's what the director in uh, Indian Horse and uh, director in The Terror had said that, like, you don't need to say very much to say a lot. And that helped me with my characters, you know? like Because I was trying so hard to produce the character, and then they said... You don't need to try very much. Like they coach me into just be yourself. So most of my characters, you know, I just had to be myself and, you know, quiet, right? No, it really does come across. And it's, it's, it's similar again, you're mentioning the terror, and that's uh, also a character of few words, but a lot is spoken. Um, that must have been interesting to be a part of. I and mean, then, because that's. It's set all up in sort of your backyard, really, right? I mean, it's the Northwest Passage. This is the Franklin Expedition, which went all horribly wrong in the 1840s. What did Francis say? Agluka. Your friend took my hands. He said, tell those who come after us not to stay. The ships are gone. There is no way through, no passage. Tell them we are gone. I see you. Dead. And gone. Um, what's interesting is I think for a very long time, the Inuit part of that story really wasn't part of the story, and this has actually brought it into it. And I'm wondering if that was of interest to you and what it was like to be part of that. You know what? Everything aligned for that show and even uh, the Stratford Theatre play. Mm-hmm. So that summer, I was on an expedition with Adventure Canada going through the Northwest Passage, mm-hmm. and we happened to go through the Franklin Expedition. Oh, right. So by King William Island. So and, we went yeah. to, uh, what's that island? Uh, Beachy Island. Oh, Beachy Island. We went on yeah, there. We, yeah. we saw all the graves and everything. And, you know, I went through the passage of the Franklin Expedition and even saw where they had found the ship, the second one, I think it was. And so shortly after that, that same, like, this was in the summer, and then in the, in the fall, I got called to the terror. And it, everything lined up, and, you know, I, I felt like I had more passion for it. Yeah. You know, understanding the yeah. story, because there was a historian, Ken McGugan, on the ship that talked about the Franklin Expedition. Right. So I had a good background, too. You could see it. You yeah. You could picture it in your head. Yeah. Right next summer... I did the play in Stratford, and there was a skit on Franklin Expedition on there, too. It just, everything lined up for a reason. And um, the funny thing about the terror was it was shot, most of it was shot in Budapest and uh, Croatia. And so I was like, reading the script, I was wondering what it's going to look like, how it's going to play out when I see it on TV. And it was amazing. I was blown away how great they did on the TV show. It, was like, you know, it is. I mean, it's beautifully, beautifully shot. Yeah. And like, but it, yeah, Croatia and Hungary are warmer. They were pretty hot. When <laughs> and I you're in full furs in this <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, it was boiling hot. And uh, one of your co-stars, Jared Harris, 
spoke some inuktitut. How, yeah. how was he doing in that? Did you, were you helping him along with that? Uh, so he did practice it and did it before he got coached, and he did very well. Like did he? I understood everything he did, and the other actors too that spoke inuktitut. I understood them. You know, when he he wanted some coaching, and so when we went to his room, me and uh, the other star, Nevi, so he started reading, and I was like, how long have you been doing yeah. this? Like, I was blown away. He already knew a lot of the Inuktitut. He's good at what he does, and that's why he's Jared Harris. That's why he's <laughs> Jared Harris, yeah. I just want to um, take a step back, too, and just find out where you started from. Like, where's home for you? Where were you, where were you born? Where were you raised? So I was born in Churchill, Manitoba, but I was raised in, like, my family comes from Chesterfield Inlet. Well, my parents were moved there when they were teenagers from the land. So they lived nomadically before they were teenagers. They were forced to move there as teenagers, yeah. 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 And when was that? Um, Back in the 40s, I believe. Yeah. They were burned 35, so in the 40s they would have been moved to Chesterfield Inlet. So you're raised there, and that's right on Hudson's Bay, right? At the very top part, is that right? Yeah. That's where the first residential school was. Really? Yeah. Whoa. And and so that's where I grew up, town of Chesterfield Inlet, 300 people. Right. A lot of hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to kindergarten school there and went up to grade nine, and then I went to high school in Rankin Inlet. So a lot of my abilities came from my parents because right. my dad taught me. I'm very fortunate that he taught me a lot of the things he mm-hmm. knew, yeah. right? Traditions, culture, and um, so, and my mom too. Like I, I watched her sewing traditionally and preparing skins, and and so I'm very fortunate that I was exposed to that, and I watched as much as I could and learned as much as I could. For my young age, I'm I'm happy from what I know. Like I wish I know more. But, you know, with the modern day and stuff. And so my abilities came from hunting. All my skills, all my strength, all my mental strength, you know, all these things came from hunting. And, from like, uh, so any games was came natural because I was hunting all the time. So, yeah. And You're using skills that you'd already were using, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. So was your dad, li- I mean, was he getting his living off the land? So, yeah, that's how he started. He was a fur trader, mm. hunter, full-time hunter, and then guiding. So he he had good English because he went to TB clinic oh, right. for three years when he was 18. Yeah. And he had to stay down there for three years. In Edmonton? Uh, in in uh, Manitoba. In Manitoba, yeah. yeah. And so he was a guide after that. Right. He was retired mechanic for 35 years with the hamlet of Chesterfield Inlet. So big family? You have brothers and sisters? Or? Yeah, I have five sisters and three brothers. Five, and where do you fit in that hole? I have a younger brother and the rest are older. Oh, yeah. right. so you're on the kid end of the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the baby, actually. Are you? Yeah, I was spoiled. Were you? Yep. <laughs> it seems to have worked well for your Johnny, so. <laughs> I was spoiled, as much spoiled as I was. I did work hard to be where I am today. So that part came from my dad, you know, like yeah. he just... He took you out hunting. He took me out hunting, showed me how to make kamutik, all these skills. Kamutik is what? Slay, yeah, like yeah. what we pull in the back of the dog team mm-hmm. or snowmobiles. Yeah, yeah. 
making traditional tools and, you know, I know how to sew because I watch my mom. I know how she prepared them, and I'm very fortunate. I'm not pro at it, but right. I, I understand you, the basics you, of it. Right? Yeah. And that's where it came from, like all my strength, all my mm-hmm. abilities, like the focus. And So when you're out hunting, there's a group of you together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gr- growing up, that's what I yeah. grew up with. Like It was always family and right. So my a lot of my skills too, like hunting skills, I learned from my brothers and right. my brother-in-laws and the elders. Right. Mm. So tell me, so the first residential school was in Chesterfield Inlet. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go there? No, no. no. I went to the Rankin Inlet Residential right. School. But that must have had an imprint on the community. I mean, obviously, it everyone did, knows yeah. the history of residential schools is horrible. Yeah, yeah there was. Uh, Negative impacts and mm. positive impacts. There's a lot of great leaders in the Arctic came from Chesterfield and Lit. Through that yeah. school, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So there are some stories, like, you know, some were difficult, some were great, you know. Like everything else, it has two sides to right. it, right? What was your experience like? My experience when I went to high school, it was good. Yeah. I had no problem. The only thing was that. I had, no, like, I, before I went to high school, I had dog teams well, with my dad when I was seven years old, right up until high school. When I went to high school, it kind of disappeared because all the, you know, I was a teenager influenced by everything else around me. Yeah. And I wanted to experience it all. And and so dog teaming kind of disappeared too. Right. Like it just you know, it was a daily thing. It was a routine while I was living with it. Mm-hmm. When I was gone from it, it, that daily routine disappeared. What was the impact of that on you? It still bothers me today. You know, like, that's one thing that I wish I had kept. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to be a movie star and keep a dog team. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was born in 73 in Chesterfield, then let... It was uh, a playground, basically. How so? You know, I, I just, before I came here, I drove my childhood friend, Melissa. She lives here. And we were just talking about, I'm glad I grew up in Chesterfield and the way I did with my friends like her. And we were just talking about it. And the skills and knowledge we have about what we dream of, being free, being out in the nature, being um, in tune with nature, that's what we grew up with, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we were just talking about how grateful we are to how we grew up because we understand what it means to be of the land. Yeah. That's basically what it was, the way we grew up. My parents, at 10 years old, didn't even look for me when I didn't come home till like one o'clock in the morning in the spring because yeah. it's 24-hour Sounds daylight, up, yeah. right? And so they didn't even come look for me. They weren't worried, right? The community was watching you and, yeah. Not even that. Yeah. Like, at 10, we already had skills too, right? Because yeah. you're brought up. Like my son, he's three years old. Mm-hmm. He knows how to load a rifle and shoot at targets. He's three years old yeah. and he's been shooting since he was two. Is he a good shot? You know, that's, eh, not yet. Yeah. He'll get <laughs> he, he thinks so, though. And that's the mentality you give the children. Like, you're doing it right. 
this is how you do it. And that's right, that's the target you're supposed to shoot at. Even though he's still not getting it, he knows the logic and the uh, understanding of the safety and the shooting and why it's used for. So that's how I grew up. So at 10 years old, I already had this knowledge of I know what to do. Which is important. If there's something dangerous, I know that it's dangerous. If there's something I could do, I know I could do it. Like I had that skill emboldened into me by my parents. Part of that's faith. Yeah. And as much as I travel, I know my son's safe. I know my son's going to be good because I have faith in that. You talk about faith. So much of what I've seen of you in the roles you've played in, there's a, there's a lot of spirituality in those roles, in those plays, in those movies, and the terror, it weaves all the way through it. And I'm just, how important is that to you, actually, personally, the sense of that spiritual connection with the land? Very important. You know, that's what keeps my faith. You know, I have a thousand years of people behind me looking after me, looking after my well-being, my guidance in life. You know, like it's... I'm terrified of heights. Let's use that as an example. I'm petrified of heights. I jumped out of an airplane skydiving, and it was gut-wrenching. It was the most terrifying thing I ever did, right? Jumping out of an airplane. And I did it on my own. I didn't have anybody strapped on me uh, because if I'm going to die skydiving, I'm going to do it in my terms. It took a lot for me to do it. Mm -hmm. And that comes from my parents, my ancestors, people that watch over me. And I wholeheartedly believe my grandmother, my mother, my father, my grandfather are watching over me. And that's given you the strength to do what you're doing now? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of my faith. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're far from home doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You need strength from somewhere, right? Yeah, that's where I put it. And, you know, in time, like, that's what I started to understand. Mm -hmm. And the more I understand it, the easier it gets. I know you, you're in town now to, to talk to students and you're doing a tour and a lot of what you've done, you, you spend a lot of times in classrooms with students and I think that's both First Nations and non-First Nations as well, is that right? Yeah, I teach culture, you need culture, history, you need games, history and I use my achievements as an inspiration yeah. for the youth. How much is the message of the land and the spirituality you get from the land woven into that? Most of it. Yeah. Yeah, most of uh, what I talk about is my culture and the history and where I come from, where I, what, how I live, how yeah. I hunt, how I eat, what right. I eat. Some of the kids in the beginning will be like, why would you kill that cute seal? Why would you kill that cute polar bear? And at the my end of my presentation, maybe someday when I get bigger, I can come hunt with you. Maybe I can go hunt polar bear and seal with you one day, or maybe I can eat the caribou with you someday. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you give an understanding to anybody, you're open to life. Right. Like because the less you understand, the more you're close to uh, any culture. And so that's why I love traveling the world. I love to learn about different cultures and I respect it. Yeah. You know, and I try different food. Sometimes it's tough, but you know, it's. You know, I appreciate where I come from, and so that's what I teach as much as I could because I am a 
very proud in it. I mean, you, you are a champion for, I say, the Inuit and the Inuit culture, and we've come through a period where a lot of that was repressed and the government actively, you know, as you say, moved your parents to a place they didn't want to be, among many other things, residential schools, which did a lot of damage to the culture. But I'm just wondering where you think you are or where the Inuit people are in terms of regaining their culture and regaining that pride of culture. Today, like you could see a lot of the pride of being Inuk, you know. At one point when I was growing up, you know, teenager, I was like, I want my skin to be lighter, yeah. you know. Why am I so scared of the white people? Because that's what my dad taught me, how to be afraid of them. To an extent, I am, you know, like I keep my guard up still, but that's how I was brought up. And today you could see that in a culture, like it's always been around, it's always been very rich, you know, because we're very isolated. The only way to get up there is by airplane and ship. And what I see right now is that everybody's so proud of it and want it as strong as it was before. And everybody's working towards making it come back. You know, it's very challenging because of the modern lifestyle. It's not as easy to get away from, but we have to live with it. It just keeps getting more modern and more modern. And so we just adapt into that. But How do you do that? Because it is, it's pervasive, right? And now the internet, yeah. there's new ways that it digs in, right? As hunters... On a daily basis, we have to adapt to the environment. Every single day, you adapt. And so with everything else that comes, you have to adapt into it. And that's just who we are. That's how we are. We have to accept it and work with it. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot of young people just so proud of where they come from. Even this morning, I was talking to my friend Melissa. Her daughter's 18, and she's grew up most of her life down here, and she wants to move up north to revitalize her upbringing, how her mom grew up, you know, right. like how her grandma grew up. Um, it was a proud moment. Like, that's beautiful. And you could see a lot of the young people doing that today. Like, there's a lot of young people that are doing their best to learn what maybe they have missed from going to school. And then you have people in my generation that are very proud to be able to teach it or even learn it more. You know, I'm still learning. Like there's words I'm forgetting or didn't know, or there's techniques I don't know. I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning as I go. I keep asking people about techniques or places or names. You know, I'm still learning and I'm 45. And my dad, when he was like 75, I'm still learning too. It's important. So he never, he never stopped. Is he still alive, your dad? No, he passed on 2016. Okay. So we saw a bit of you doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, what did he, he think was, of that? He was very proud of it. Like he was a man of few words sometimes. And some of the things I was doing were pretty crazy, like climbing mountains and stuff like that. But he was very proud of me. For a guy who's afraid of heights, that is pretty Yeah, nice. and, and, and so I told him about the mountain climbing I was Which is, tell do. me about that. Where's that? Uh, up in Ellesmere Island, Mount Barbeau and those surrounding mountains, yeah. Whistler, the highest mountain up in there. And so we climbed nine mountains, all 8,000 feet in two weeks. I went with a group from UK. And it was for the celebration of the Jubilee. Right. And I'm, I'm a recipient of the Diamond Jubilee Medal, right? Congratulations. And so prior to that, I was talking to my dad. I said, 
this is what we're doing. He is quiet for a minute. And then he goes, son, I love you very, very much. But why do you do that to yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like he's worried about me. And it kind of took me aback. Like with that question, I said, wow, he cares about me like he's worried about me. Do you have an answer for him? And I said, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. A lot of my work is inspiring youth. And so part of facing my fears are to show kids or people that no matter what, you can go through anything, learn anything. Scary as hell, but it's doable. Anything's doable. So one of the questions I ask everyone who's doing this is, when you're traveling, when you're on expedition, when you're out in the land hunting, is there a particular piece of gear or good luck charm or something that you can't go without? I tried to bring something from my culture. Like, I always wear this polar bear carving. of a, It's a, a necklace of a polar bear of head. ivory, Morris Tuss ivory. And it was a gift from a northern Quebec school nice. in Kugjualapik. Yeah. I did a presentation there while we were doing a tour with Indian horse. And the school gave me this. And I've always wanted one of these northern Quebec carvings of a polar bear. And it was a gift. And mm-hmm. I was, like, blown away by it. And so, yeah, I bring this everywhere I go. I wear it as much as I could. Polar but, bear? Yeah. Does that have some significance for you, the polar bear? Yeah. I, they're like my brother. Like They're the only animal I won't hunt for myself. You won't hunt? Yeah. Why? But I'll help my family and friends hunt it because it's my favorite meat to eat. So you, okay. Yeah, but when I was 12 years old, the polar bear grabbed my foot let go and walked away while I was sleeping. We were 40 miles north of home in the summer, hunting, fishing, all that stuff for a few days. And early in the morning, a polar bear grabbed me and like my dad and my brother-in-law couldn't shoot through the tent because it was an 11-foot polar bear. If you injure it, it's going to be one pissed-off bear. Yeah. You got to make sure you know where you're going to shoot. Right. So it was just a shadow. Yeah. So they could just watch what it was doing. The big paw against the tent. And you wake up to this? I didn't wake up at all. Wow. I'm an early morning person. I wake up between 5 and 7 every day since I was a kid. And that day, I woke up late, late in the afternoon for some reason. Like It was very odd, and I was like exhausted when I woke up. It was something. Polar bear gave me something. Amazing. So you put Seems like your- after that, I wanted to learn. So it's yeah. close to you, the polar bear. Yeah, but I'll eat it any day of the week. It's delicious. I've never had it. So yummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are your favorite foods up from up uh, every, I, I love everything. Like, you know, I eat it all. And But polar bear meat's my favorite. I love fermented wars and I love fermented beluga. Mm. You know, it's everything. I, I can eat everything. Yeah. Yeah. What's fermented beluga taste like? What's that? Like candy, but better. Really? Yeah. That's enticing. (laughs) Uh, My wife can't stand the smell. Yeah. So before we fermented, the fat is yellowish, Mm -hmm. white, egg white, I guess you could say. But by the time it's fermented perfect, the fat is green, neon green. 
So that's when it tastes like candy. <laughs> nice. Do you have to go to a cow to get that? Where you yeah, <laughs> you have to go up north to get it. Yeah, it's a delicacy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're good. lucky to have it. Direct flights from Ottawa, so I might. Yeah, <laughs> I have some at home. If you want, yeah. <laughs> I might take you up on that. The other question I ask everyone is if there's a favorite place in Canada, maybe a place they go to and they want peace or thinking of peaceful places. Or you know what, I, I I love the rush. You know, I love the rush. So I like going to Toronto a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah interesting. I, I go there. I've been going there. I visited about five hundred schools doing presentations, and I'm going there today yeah. to do more presentations. I'll visit twenty five schools in the next two weeks in Toronto area. Yeah, yeah. What do you like about Toronto? I mean, the rush, just the the amount of people, diversity. And the and... You know, diversity, yeah. culture. It's got its own culture. You know, like it, it just has everything. I can experience everything and. You know, it doesn't get dull at all. And to calm myself, I just go home anywhere in the Arctic. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I go out my back door. Mm-hmm. I'm in nature. Yeah. 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 And it's just land. Yeah. I'm very lucky where I'm living. I ended our interview by asking Isolak about a quote in the horror movie Kayutayuk that kicked off his acting career. <laughs> In it, you hear the voice of an Inuit elder saying these words, the land looks bare, but it is alive. And I think there is a perception down here, especially that it is just an empty waste. Yeah. But it's not, is it? It's not. You know, like, that's where you collect yourself spiritually. And, you know, when I'm out land, my thoughts clear up, like everything I forgot to think about comes out so it is alive in you if you allow it i think that's a good place to leave things (laughs) great well johnny thank you so much for coming and doing the podcast with thank you it's been a real pleasure to meet you yeah my pleasure that was johnny isolak inuit actor athlete and ambassador and now also the newest royal canadian geographical society explorer in residence Music and production for Explore is by Robin Dumas of SoundShield Studios. Want even more great Canadian Geographic content? Visit cangeo.ca forward slash subscribe to order Canadian Geographic magazine. A subscription gets you six issues of the magazine each year with stories that will entertain, surprise, and educate you about the remarkable Canadian landscape, wildlife, and people. Subscribers also get bonus issues of Canadian Geographic Travel magazine, and a free wall map of this great country of ours. Subscribe today at cangeo.ca forward slash subscribe. <laughs>